Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. Hi, this is Rich Myers with NCAT. In this episode, Nina Prater, a soil specialist with NCAT's ATRA, the National Sustainable Agriculture Information Service, sits down with Dr. Buzz Clute of the University of South Carolina to talk about a new composting system. Nina works out of NCAT's Southeast Regional Office in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And the conversation took place at the 2019 Southern Sustainable Agriculture Working Group Conference in Little Rock, Arkansas. The composting system Nina and Dr. Clute are talking about was developed by Dr. David Johnson and Wei Chen Su Johnson of New Mexico State University. The system, which has been dubbed the Johnson Su Composting Bioreactor and is also known as the Johnson Su Static Composting System, allows for beneficial fungal growth. The conversation also includes a discussion of fungi to bacteria ratios as a soil health indicator, the five soil health principles, and how soil health practices can help farmers achieve greater financial freedom. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Nina Prater. I am a soil specialist with NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Information Service Project, and I'm here at the 2019 Southern Sustainable Agriculture Working Group Conference, and I'm here with Dr. Buzz Clute from the University of South Carolina. And we're here today to talk about um, some interesting developments in soil health, um, the area of soil health. And Buzz, um, you've been doing some work with a new composting process that I'm, I've been really curious about, the Johnson Sioux uh, static composting? Yeah, yeah, that's the Johnson Sioux static composting system. Um, we, we started getting interested in this about uh, just over a year ago, and then I was approached by one of my students. Uh, she wanted to look at the effect of compost on, um, on turf grass. And so I thought, well, that's, that's the, that was my cue to get going with uh, Johnson Sioux composting system. Mm-hmm. So um, do you know a lot of the how uh, David Johnson uh, developed this? Or? Yeah, we have a pretty good idea. Um, David Johnson is a, soil, uh, um, he's a molecular microbiologist from uh, New Mexico State University. If you go onto YouTube and you search Dr. David Johnson, you'll find that he gives a number of talks. And the work that he's done is really on very, very degraded soils. And what he's looking at is using the compost system that they've developed. It's not the only one. It's not the perfect one. But this is the one that he and his wife have developed. Taking that compost and using that as an inoculant to uh, improve soil health. So the idea is um, what appealed to me is if we have a very high quality uh, pro, uh, um, compost. So the big thing we're looking at right now is the fungal to bacterial ratio. If we have a very high quality compost, we can use maybe 2 to 50 pounds per acre on our soils to inoculate them. Again, this is not a nutrient source, and I'm using air quotes here. It's a way to inoculate the soils with microbiology. So bacteria, fungi, protozoans, nematodes that we're seeing in these soils, and these are all mainly beneficial. The actual Johnson Sioux composting system is, um, 
is static. And one of the reasons why we want it to be static is that once these fungi grow, we don't want to, when we turn it, the first thing that goes are our fungi. And then, of course, our bigger microbes like protozoans and nematodes. So with turning, we don't want to kind of mess that up. And so what David and his wife Wuchen did over time was develop a composting system where um, uh, you, number one, it's, it's static, and number two, it's aerobic. So what they do is they're going to be sticking pipes down into the system. So you might have a three to four foot diameter composting system, and then you'll stick a four inch pipe in as you're throwing layer in after layer. Uh, so you will layer it up uh, with wet compost. You'll be putting that on top of a pallet. Uh, and then as you throw those lifts in, you will have pipes that are stuck into the composting system. And then uh, you will leave the pipes in for a day or two and then remove the pipes. And guess what? That compost stays right there and you've got holes. So the principle is we want aerobic compost. The moment our compost goes anaerobic, it's going to die. The third thing that we do is we put about a gallon a day of water onto that compost system and maybe two gallons in the summer. So that's the basic idea. It's static, it's aerobic, and we keep it wet, we keep it moist, but we don't, we, we avoid waterlogging. Because mm -hmm. um, waterlogging would make it anaerobic, probably. Right. As soon as you go anaerobic, uh, then you are uh, breeding uh, anaerobic microbes that use different pathways and are going to produce uh, um, toxins or uh, uh, substances that are going to be toxic to plants. Uh, I Trust me, I, have, I once made an anaerobic... Um, Compost from coffee, and uh, I just threw it on some blueberry bushes, and I killed them in a day. So <laughs> wow. I've learned the hard way. <laughs> so that's serious stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned it's not a nutrient source per se, but a way right. to sort of jumpstart um, uh, degraded right. soil. So um, in mm. what situation um, would this be? best apply say there's someone who has right. okay soils yeah. is this still beneficial right. yeah yeah that's that's a good point and that's some of the research i'm trying to do but let's just get back to the inoculation we're learning more and more about the human microbiome and how it applies to the soil microbiome so if you have heard of fecal transplants where we have really does you know some of the microbes in our gut have died and we're getting a fecal transplant this is very much like a fecal transplant for the soil. So what circumstances uh, can we do this? Uh, one of the things Dr. Johnson shows is uh, we, can, uh, uh, we can use it as a seed coat. Um, and I'm especially excited about coating cover crop seeds and planting them. We've got an experiment in on six acres. I'm not sure if the experiment's going to work or not, but really what we want to do is look at the... Um, uh, look at the growth, the biomass in that multi-species cover crop next to the untreated pot. And we're doing this in pots as well. So seed treatment is one of them. And Dr. Johnson talks about, remember, oh, sorry, the other thing about this is your compost really needs to age for between nine months and a year at least. So basically uh, what you end up with is a, a highly colloidal solution where much of the food has been eaten up and you're getting cysts and spores of your beneficial microbes. So when you're applying it, you're not applying 
very many microbes. So we see our um, nematode and protozoan populations go down because they don't have anything to eat. But they sporulate and insist, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, um, the, the fungi will sporulate and then these other things will insist. And then that's what we're putting in the soil. So that inoculation then, once it gets next to a seed, is going to wake up when the seed starts putting out the sugars. And that's what we're beginning to look at in the soil. So one way is to be able to apply it as a seed treatment. The other thing that we think, um, and that I have found, at least in the lab, is really successful, is um, putting it in furrow. So either... So if you're, if you're planting seeds, is being able to put about um, the equivalent um, of about 25 gallons per acre, but put it right next to the seed. Uh, in that case, then you would have a one to five mixture of compo compost to water, and then you can screen out the, the larger particles, uh, you know, maybe two millimeters or even up to use a paint filter to screen out the really large particles if you have a sprayer. I would recommend rather a stream, you know, maybe a, a 3 8 inch pipe to half inch pipe that you could run along the seed trench. In terms of your, you know, tomatoes and stuff like that, I would, you know, or your, your transplants, I would also recommend a soil drench uh, of the actual root system of your, of your plants. Um, uh, uh, the... the the seed treatment, usually what Dr. Johnson recommends is basically make a paste and you can use milk and molasses and then make a paste that looks like a pancake batter, throw it in, into a cement mixer along with your seeds that'll coat the seeds. You can dry them for about 15 minutes, put them in a grain drill and it seems to not clog the, the drain drill up. Interesting. Stream of consciousness, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're just having a... <laughs> A good conversation. So um, you mentioned earlier um, about really jump-starting the fungi. Um, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of a good fungal to bacterial ratio in the soil? Sure, sure. Um, the fungal to bacterial ratio, what we see right now, is an extremely good indicator of soil biology. Dr. Elaine Ingham uh, certainly was someone who, who started that idea and David Johnson looked at that as well and found that that was really the case. He did some uh, pepper plant studies, seedlings, and they responded more than nitrogen and phosphorus and organic matter. They responded most to the fungal to bacterial ratio. So we know that in our soils, much of our, our soils are bacterially dominated. So these are essentially degraded systems that we've been degrading for the last anywhere between 300 and 100 years. So the, an indicator of restored soil biology are these fungi, and these are usually beneficial fungi that you can see under the microscope. They might be three and a half microns wide, and then they would have septa, and then also they will... Uh, they, um, uh, they will have some kind of color. And that's usually an indicator that these fungi have had long enough to grow in that system uh, because it takes them quite a while. So they're indicator species. I don't know if the fungal to bacterial ratio is causal, but I think it's an indicator of what's really going on. So really what we're trying to do is promote microbes, 
bacteria, fungi, protozoans, nematodes. Mm -hmm. A diversity as well. A diversity of that. Mm -hmm. And we have to admit that we don't really know what's going on in all of this microbiology. You know, the, the DNA looking at the soil metagenome is helping us, but, you know, we, we barely scratched the tip of the iceberg. But fungal to bacterial ratio is a good indicator for us. And you've seen that again and again. And I, have, I have not seen that. <coughs> uh, I've, I've seen it with Dr. Johnson's. I haven't done any experiments myself mm -hmm. yet. So I'm just trying at this stage working with peas, cotton, corn, to see does this work. And I'm, I've had some success with cotton. I've had some success with peas. And uh, I, I'm, uh, I've just had a, a decent experiment with corn as well. And typically, you know, when we're inoculating these things, we're getting maybe 25% extra biomass growth in the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 25%, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I don't know <laughs> if you carry that to yield, I don't know what that goes. Right. right. And, and I've had a notable lack of success in uh, the, the seed coating that I tried on the multi-species cover crop didn't work in pots, but I think my experiment may have been flawed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, uh, certainly we can take our cue from Dr. Johnson, but it doesn't mean uh, if it doesn't work, that's, you know, he's not, he's not right. I think we have to figure out how it works and, and what, what are the best applications for the Johnson Sioux system. Does it work better in totally degraded soils than in, or is it effective in a very, very healthy soil? So those are things that we need to find out. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some things in the soil health um, world right now that are exciting to you? What are some of the things that you're seeing as you um, do your research or talk to farmers that are really getting you excited? Well, before we talk about soil health, let's just make sure there are five principles that we want farmers to follow. One is minimize disturbance, minimize physical, chemical, and biological disturbance. Physical disturbance being tillage, and then chemical and biological. Biological, we're always disturbing because we're planting crops, that's biological disturbance. And then chemical is the use of things like pesticides, herbicides, and chemicals. So we're trying to minimize that, and farming is nothing more than managing disturbance. Number two, we want to keep the soil covered, uh, uh, and that's either with residue, uh, which you could call a magic carpet, and maybe one or two inches, or a canopy. Residue or canopy is going to protect the soil from raindrop impact and then hot temperatures in the summer. And number three, keep a live root in the soil year-round, so no more fallow. If you don't have a cash crop in the ground, have a cover crop growing in the ground. Number, uh, number four is going to be, did I say number four twice? It doesn't matter. Number four is diversity. So rota crop rotation is one form of diversity, but we can really jack the diversity up when we increase our, the number of uh, species of cover crop seeds that we can put in the ground. So I like to see seven or eight different species in one cover crop because... Uh, up to that point, really, what, what happens, one cover crop seed, a single species will give you a certain amount of biomass. You can triple or quadruple that biomass when you go up to seven species. So really what you're doing is you're trying to harvest as much sunlight as possible and as much water as possible. And then the fifth principle that we really want to go into is incorporating livestock into the system. Because, you know... Uh, 
all of a sudden pigweed uh, becomes a great forage source for your livestock. And so instead of running around trying to grow things that want to die and running around uh, <laughs> trying to kill things that want to live, you know, we can use all of these uh, principles to go ahead. I think what excites me and what scares me right now, I work mainly with larger farmers, and I don't know of any of these big guys, even though they receive uh, a lot of government aid, I don't know many of them that are saying, man, we're doing so well. I think commodity prices are low, and they're being uh, basically held hostage by debt. And, uh, you know, the guys who are going out of business, I think many of them are really struggling. We, we hear of a lot of suicide hotlines in, in the Corn Belt right now. So um, the idea of soil health is freedom from having to use all of these inputs. I'm not saying that uh, we don't use any inputs at all and we don't use any equipment at all. But I think, uh, you know, when you talk about equipment, when you're talking about fertilizers, when you're talking about manure, cows, multi-species cover crops, these are all tools in your disposal, in, at your disposal. You don't have to use something that's sold from a jug from a company. So I think what we're seeing is, um, is this, this freedom for farmers to start choosing and using the tools that are best for that system and not developed for a system or for a, uh, a, a company that might have come from 500 miles from where they live. So soil health to me is about freedom to choose. I've never put it, heard it put that way. That's, that's, really, that's really powerful. Um, <clears throat> I just have one last question for you. Um, you said you're an aquatic. You are also an aquatic researcher. Well, I, I, tr I, I originally I'm a chemical engineer. I spent 12 years in the mining industry, ran a uranium plant on the west coast of Africa, so that's really environmentally friendly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I came to the States and... Um, sort of backed into doing a PhD in aquatic sciences. Uh, so I, I'm a late graduate. I got my PhD at 45. But it, it was in aquatic sciences and became frustrated very quickly because um, there's only so many riparian buffer strips you can put in and so, only so much stream restoration you can do. And I met a guy called Ray Archuleta and he completely shattered my paradigm of soils. I thought that Soils are what they are. They don't change. We get what we want. You know, that's, that's all we have. And he, in about uh, three hours, completely changed my paradigm. And I realized that if we fix the land, the upland, uh, we can in increase infiltration, completely reduce, radically reduce uh, um, erosion and uh, restore the, the health and the functionality of soil. So having good functional so functioning soils means that your water bodies can take care of themselves, and there are countless examples of that. So um, I, I'm, I, I don't do any water quality projects anymore. I, I only work with farmers, and, and because I feel that if we're going to fix our waterways and our streams, we start with the farmer, because it's good for the farmer, it's good for the environment. And I just really think that connection of going from the water to the soil and yeah. realizing how they're all interconnected is 
is a yeah, really just yeah. interesting well, if pathway. You, yeah, if you think about 40, 50 years ago, what were we doing? We were putting in waterways, we were putting in terraces, and, and later on we were putting in buffer strips. And these are all diaper practices because they're not dealing with the main problem. Our, 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 we have an infiltration problem. We don't have a runoff problem. So if we pay attention to infiltration rather than runoff, the, the problem is turned on its head. Uh, that's an advantage to the farmer because the farmer then has more uh, water in her soil uh, and uh, that's an advantage to the streams and the environment because we're not getting that runoff and we're not, we're not getting all the, um, all the fertilizer and, and nutrients in the, in the water that's supposed to be on the land. Well, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? or <laughs> Did we cover it all? <laughs> have we taught well, the world about soil health? Yeah, I think you know one of the big things that we see in terms of barriers to soil health is that there's a lot of pressure. Again, this is possibly in the conventional farming world. I think in the world of the organic farming and small farmers, I think people may be more open-minded to that because most of their farming is not subsidized. So there's a, a financial imperative to do that. But we think um, that a lot of the, the barriers are uh, because of peer pressure. And so when you start planting, if you're the first person that goes no-till or plants a cover crop in your county, your neighbors start talking about you in the coffee shop. So anytime you start innovating like that, people think you've lost your mind. And so that is something that, you know, we see as a barrier. And one of the things that we think is uh, so much of the social media connects us to community across the country. For instance, the Johnson Sioux composting system, we've got people from the United States, obviously, but Australia, I've seen someone from Morocco, South Africa. So we're connecting virtually as a community and uh, being able to swap ideas and also provide encouragement. That's great. That's really hopeful. That's a good hopeful. It, it is hopeful, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Noted. And we need a lot of hope in our food system right now. I think so, yeah. 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 So hopefully we've uh, given you some, some things to think about and tools to take back to your farms. And um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Nina. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening to, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information about this subject, you can contact Nina Prater directly via email at ninap at incat.org. That's N-I-N-A-P at N-C-A-T dot org. In the notes below this podcast, You'll find links to soil and compost resources on ATRA's website, which is www.atra.incat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. You'll also find links to videos describing the Johnson Sioux composting bioreactor in greater detail, and a link to Dr. Buzz Clute's Facebook page. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at incat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot org. 
Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, from produce to livestock and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at our website, www.atra.incat.org. And once again, that's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week. And until then, keep on farming.